continued study of the book of Jeremiah. Let me open our time together this morning with a word of prayer. Let's pray. Almighty God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, you are uh, the true God. All other gods are false and the invention of human hands. Um, and you are the God of not just uh, your people, but the God of all peoples, all nations and kingdoms on earth. Um, and you are the one who uh, brings them uh, up, and you're the one that brings them down. You're the ones that make them rise. You're the ones that make them fall. For you are the sovereign Lord of the nations. And Lord God, uh, even more, uh, you are uh, the uh, only hope of the nations. That you are calling to yourself a people from every tribe and tongue and peoples on earth um, to be part of your eternal kingdom. And that is the kingdom that uh, we should seek. Uh, even as we study uh, Jeremiah this morning and hear these prophecies concerning uh, the nations that surrounded uh, Judah, um, Lord, you're teaching uh, your people and the people of those nations that there, there is only one true God of heaven and earth, and in him only is restoration uh, to be sought and found. We pray that you would teach us this morning, uh, help us to um, see ourselves and these people uh, who are being condemned uh, to see us as um, falling into some of the same sinful patterns uh, that they did, um, but uh, convict us of that sin, help us to repent of that sin and exercise faith in our Savior Jesus Christ. In all things, draw our eyes to him by the power of your spirit, and we pray this in his name. Amen. All right, if you turn with me to Jeremiah chapter 49, I'm like off-center here. Um, so uh, for those of you who are joining us, we've been going through the prophet Jeremiah. And we've entered a section known as uh, that was announced back in chapter 46, the word of the Lord that came to Jeremiah the prophet concerning the nations. And so since chapter 46, for the last two weeks, that has been what we've been studying, these prophecies concerning the nations. Chapters 46, 47, and 48 presented prophecies regarding God's judgment on the nations of Egypt, on Philistia, and on Moab. And we saw uh, in those chapters that um, God is making this de declaration that these series of prophecies establishes that God is not just the Lord of Israel and Judah, but the God overall. He's the one who makes kingdoms rise and fall. So as we saw, God mocked the pretensions of the Egyptians. He laughed at the arrogance of the Moabites, who believed themselves to be rich, powerful, and self-sufficient. God uh, promised to bring them down, both these arrogant nations and the false gods that they worshipped. A second thing that these prophecies concerning the nations establish is that all peoples and nations are sinful and thus under the judgment of God unless he uh, shows his gracious favor to them. Much like the New Testament readings we've been doing uh, in Romans in worship uh, for the last couple of weeks, Jeremiah is emphasizing that all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. God called Israel to be set apart from the nations, to be a holy nation, but they broke covenant with God and became like the nations rather than a light to them. Therefore, he brought his judgments upon his people, and so also he's bringing judgments upon those nations. But as we saw last week, um, as chapter 48 ended, uh, the hope of the nations is in that same God uh, who has brought judgments upon them. Uh, verse 47 of chapter 48. Yet I will restore the fortunes of Moab in the latter days, declares the Lord. Thus far is the judgment on Moab. And that promise, I will restore the fortunes of a nation, we'll see repeated again today as we read in chapter 49. So chapter 49, uh, we'll see, uh, has shorter sections, um, the section on Egypt and the section of Moab, 
uh, were quite long. Uh, the longest nation that will be dealt with in this section is Babylon. That's coming in chapters 50 and 51. Um, but for today, uh, we'll see in chapter 49, uh, judgments upon uh, Ammon, on Edom, on Kedar, and Hazor, on Damascus, and on Elam. So with that as a word of introduction, hear now the word of God from Jeremiah chapter 49. Concerning the Ammonites, thus says the Lord, has Israel no sons? Has he no heir? Why then has Milcom dispossessed Gad and his people settled in its cities? Therefore, behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will cause the battle cry to be heard against Rabbah of the Ammonites. It shall become a desolate mound, and its villages shall be burned with fire. Then Israel shall dispossess those who dispossessed him, says the Lord. Wail, O Heshbon, for I is laid waste. Cry out, O daughters of Rabbah, put on sackcloth, lament, and run to and fro among the hedges. For Milcom shall go into exile with his priests and his officials. Why will you boast of your valleys, O faithless daughter, who trusted in her treasures, saying, Who will come against me? Behold, I will bring terror upon you, declares the Lord of hosts, from all who are around you. And you shall be driven out, every man straight before him, with none to gather the fugitives. But afterward, I will restore the fortunes of the Ammonites, declares the Lord. Concerning Edom, thus says the Lord of hosts, Is wisdom no more in Taman? Has counsel perished from the prudent? Has their wisdom vanished? Flee, turn back, dwell in the depths, O inhabitants of Dadan. For I will bring the calamity of Esau upon him, the time when I punish him. If grape gatherers came to you, would they not leave gleanings? If thieves came by night, would they not destroy only enough for themselves? But I have stripped Esau bare, I have uncovered his hiding places, and he is not able to conceal himself. His children are destroyed, and his brothers, and his neighbors, and he is no more. Leave your fatherless children. I will keep them alive, and let your widows trust in me. For thus says the Lord, if those who did not deserve to drink the cup must drink it, will you go unpunished? You shall not go unpunished, but you must drink. For I have sworn by myself, declares the Lord, that Basra shall become a horror, a taunt, a waste, and a curse, and all her cities shall be perpetual wastes. I've heard a message from the Lord, and an envoy has been sent among the nations. Gather yourselves together and come against her and rise up for battle. For behold, I will make you small among the nations, despised among mankind. The horror that you inspire has deceived you, and the pride of your heart. You who live in the clefts of the rock, who hold the height of the hill, though you make your nest as high as the eagles, I will bring you down from there, declares the Lord. Edom shall become a horror. Everyone who passes by it will be horrified and hiss because all of its disasters. As when Sodom and Gomorrah and their neighboring cities were overthrown, says the Lord, no man shall dwell there, no man shall sojourn in her. Behold, like a lion coming up from the jungle of the Jordan against a perennial pasture, I will suddenly make him run away from her. And I will appoint over her whomever I choose. For who is like me? Who will summon me? What shepherd can stand before me? Therefore hear the plan that the Lord has made against Edom and the purposes he has formed against the inhabitants of Taman. Even the little ones of the flock shall be dragged away. Surely their fold shall be appalled at their fate. At the sound of their fall, the earth shall tremble. The sound of the, their cry shall be heard at the Red Sea. Behold, one shall mount up and fly swiftly like an eagle and spread his wings against Basra, and the heart of the warriors of Edom shall be in that day like the heart of a woman in her birth pains. Concerning Damascus, Hamath and Arpad are confounded, for they have heard bad news. They melt in fear. They are troubled like the sea that cannot be quiet. Damascus has become feeble. She turned to flee, and panic seized her. 
Anguish and sorrows have taken hold of her as of a woman in labor. How is the famous city not forsaken, the city of my joy? Therefore her young men shall fall in her squares, and all her soldiers shall be destroyed in that day, declares the Lord of hosts. And I will kindle a fire in the wall of Damascus, and it shall devour the strongholds of Ben-Hadad. Concerning Kedar and the kingdoms of Hazor that Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, struck down, Thus says the Lord, rise up, advance against Kedar, destroy the people of the east. Their tents and their flocks shall be taken, their curtains and all their goods, their camels shall be led away from them, and men shall cry to them terror on every side. Flee, wander away, dwell in the depths, O inhabitants of Hazor, declares the Lord. For Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, has made a plan against you and formed a purpose against you. Rise up, advance against a nation at ease that dwells securely, declares the Lord, that has no gates or bars, that dwells alone. Their camels shall become plunder, their herds of livestock of spoil. I will scatter to every wind those who cut the corners of their hair, and I will bring their calamity from every side of them, declares the Lord. Hazor shall become a haunt of jackals, an everlasting waste. No man shall dwell there. No man shall sojourn in her. The word of the Lord that came to Jeremiah, the prophet concerning Elam, in the beginning of the reign of Zedekiah, king of Judah. Thus says the Lord of hosts, Behold, I will break the bow of Elam, the mainstay of their might, and I will bring upon Elam the four winds from the four corners of heaven. And I will scatter them to all those winds, and there shall be no nation to which those driven out of Elam shall not come. I will terrify Elam before their enemies and before those who seek their life. I will bring disaster upon them. My fierce anger, declares the Lord. I will send the sword after them until I have consumed them, and I will set my throne in Elam and destroy their king and officials, declares the Lord. But in the latter days, I will restore the fortunes of Elam, declares the Lord. Thus far, the reading of God's holy word. May he bless it as we discuss it together this morning. So we have um, five sets of people identified in this chapter um, and the different judgments that are brought upon them. Um, but before we uh, dig in maybe into uh, looking at each one in turn, um, just from an overall big picture, um, what do these chapters emphasize about what God is doing in bringing these judgments upon the nations? What was the overall, as you heard me read and as you followed along in your Bibles, what was the overall impression um, left upon you by this chapter? Yeah, they all deserve it. And sometimes, as you say, like specific sins are pointed out. The Ammonites, uh, who part of their territory um, had been, um, you know, they resided east of the Jordan. Part of their territory was conquered when Sihon, king of the Amorites, um, was defeated. And those became the Transjordan uh, uh, inhabitants of the tribes of Reuben and Gad. And when the Assyrians came in and took out the northern kingdom, which included Reuben and Gad, the Ammonites used that as an opportunity to, to slide back into the land. So that um, talk does, you know, uh, as it asks this question, uh, why has Milcom dispossessed Gad and his people settled in his cities? Uh, has Israel no sons? Has he no heir? So here is this land that God has given to his, um, his promised chosen people, and the Ammonites have, have gone in and seized it in their absence. And, and God is saying, no, I, I gave it to them. And so, so sometimes we're given very specific reasons like that where they're being punished. And other times, uh, we're, we're not. We're given more into what is happening to the people rather than causes for it. Um, but the, the principle 
uh, as you say, Ronnie, is, is that God is bringing his righteous judgment upon these people. And even when it, he attributes um, things to Nebuchadnezzar, for example, um, he, he's still saying it's I'm the one uh, who's responsible. Good. What else? Yes, sir. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, they, they, they give the wrong um, interpretation to their peace, their security, their prosperity. Uh, they look at it and arrogantly think, oh, it's because of us. And yeah, it's, I'm responsible for all this wealth. I, I'm safe. Like, um, for example, the um, Edomites uh, inhabit this mountainous territory. And so they think they're safe up in their citadels in the mountains. Like all that description of eagles nest in the mountains. All that is um, a description of both their physical elevation, um, but their physical elevation, I think, is doing exactly what you're saying. They're, they've, they've elevated themselves um, mentally because they think, oh, we dwell in these high high mountains, we're, we're untouchable. And, and God is saying, no, I'm going to reach you out of every little crack. <laughs> um, and it, it, it gets to the heart. Like, and I, I think, especially um, as we think about applications, like, I, I think that is the, the preeminent danger we see, that it's so easy for us to, to become complacent in our own circumstances, especially living in a nation of abundance. It's so easy to just sort of think, yeah, we're responsible for all this around us. And the picture we're given here is how quickly uh, a people can be disabused of that notion, um, that, that God can very swiftly bring these people who've lifted themselves up, can bring them down. Yeah, Dave. Yeah, so, and, and like, the, the contrast between some who are completely wiped out and who, like, the Edomites, they disappear from the face of the earth, like, um, and as he's noticed here, there isn't a promise of restoration uh, there, like, and they're the ones who are likened to Sodom and Gomorrah, and just like Sodom and Gomorrah were, you know, completely obliterated and made uninhabitable, uh, that's what he's saying is going to happen to Edomites. Whereas other people, like Elam, uh, Elam is basically Iran. Um, so if you think of like promises for them, notice how he, he emphasizes very much like he talks about um, Israel, how the Elamites are going to be scattered to the four quarters of the earth. Um, and if you think like um, of, of peoples that have been... Um, you know, diasporas on, on the earth, Iranians, Persian, people from Persia, uh, you know, the descendants of the Elamites, they, they are peoples that are literally scattered. Um, and yet God is still holding out, um, you know, hope of restoration here. So as you, th again, think of those two principles, like, that are running through all these prophecies. It's God, it, it might, you know, like, they might be being attacked by Nebuchadnezzar, they might be being attacked by the Assyrians, but it's God is the one bringing his judgment upon these peoples. And very similarly, he's the one who is their hope of, of restoration. Um, and, he's, and, and part of the restoration promise is driving away these people and their gods who they cling to. Like last week, we saw that the Moabites were, um, were clinging to Chemosh, um, and putting, like, uh, ascribing to him their national significance. He was their national de deity. Here, it's um, Milcom uh, as your EFC. Uh, it, the consonants uh, also could be Molech. So, again, if you think of Molech as the, the god where uh, children were often sacrificed in the, the fire. So, Milcom is the national god of... Uh, of them and their 
they're putting their trust in, in Milcom. And so Milcom and his priests and his officials are going to be dragged off. So God is not just bringing judgment upon the nations. He's also bringing judgment upon the false gods in whom they're putting their hope. Um, and that false worship is what he's really seeking to eliminate. Not, not just peoples, but the, the things those peoples represent, the things those people cling to. He's trying to drive out that false worship. Um, that has, again, it afflicted his people. Um, we talked about this last week with Chemosh. Um, when um, uh, King Solomon uh, took uh, a Moabitess um, into his household, he set up an altar to Chemosh. Very similarly, when he took an Ammonite in, he set up an altar to, to Molech um, that stood there until Josiah tore it down. Um, so it was there for a long time. Um, so these nations have influenced Israel, influenced Judah with their worship of these false gods. And part of the punishment is not just against those people, but it's against those false gods in whom those people have put their hope. Yeah, Jay. Cities. <laughs> yeah, it's dire. And we also talk about horror. They will become a horror. Even another people will recognize it and be like, wow, that's horrible. That's horrible. What was that? What happened to them? What did they do? Well, they worshiped other gods. Right? In what sense that they were, you know, not good friends. Right? Or they were they were laggards and they didn't grow their fields. No, 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 no. They worshiped other gods. And that's what killed horror. Yeah. And, you know, they're being punished for, for the heart problem. And these things have to be cut off. Um, and as you look, like some of the cities named, like, have been rediscovered. They're, they're archaeological sites now. <laughs> um, they, like, they're, they're literally were reduced to ruins. Um, some by Nebuchadnezzar, some by the Assyrians, like, uh, when he's talking about these Notice uh, with the prophecies against Syria, he's identifying particularly Damascus, but these other cities alongside these um, major, um, major centers of trade and uh, commerce, and everybody's coming there, everybody's prosperous, and he's cutting them off. Um, and they think, again, like often they think, okay, the, the good times will, will never end, and they come to an end pretty quickly. Um, and, and it's, you know, again, it, we get Nebuchadnezzar identified at one point, but, but God throughout is establishing that he's the one who's responsible for bringing these events about. And, and all these, or not all of them, but multiple of these people are near relations. Like just as we saw Moabite, uh, Moab is descended from Lot, so is Ammon. Uh, Edom is descended from Esau, so that's why the reference to him. Um, uh, the, the references to, uh, to Kedar and Hazor, those are the descendants of Ishmael. So these are people who are close enough to God's people to, to know exactly what you're saying, um, John, that they're, they're close enough to, to know that this is God's people. Those who bless them will be blessed, and those who um, oppose them fall under his judgment and curse. Um, so especially with those kind of akin nations, like, you know, they, they should know. Um, so it's, 
So as we think about um, the judgments upon them, again, just like Israel, it's their stubborn refusal to, to acknowledge Yahweh. Like, is at the heart of it. And that's the same reason Israel is punished. Um, and, and, like, I was really, uh, like, as all things, <laughs> I have good ideas after class is over and <laughs> driving the way car home. Oh. <laughs> but um, I was struck last week um, when, when in, in worship, when we were reading through Romans. In a sense, that's the, the book of Romans, the early chapters. That's what Jeremiah has been doing, is those early chapters of Jeremiah. All have sinned. All have fallen short of the glory of God. Um, his own people have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, and they had judgment brought upon them. All these nations have sinned and fallen short of God, and they have had judgment brought upon them. Um, but the only hope for Israel is to, to turn to God, to put our trust in that king, not, not the kingdom, but in the king. And, and we saw that king language uh, last week. Uh, we see it here uh, as well, that God is establishing his kingdom that is preeminent over all the kingdoms of the earth. And that's the only one that's going to last. Um, and that's the only one in which hope of restoration is to be found. Other, any other kind of big picture before we jump into specific tribes? Yes, ma'am. Yeah. That is so totally us. <laughs> yeah, and so often it's like sometimes we, well, you know, it, we, we make sin like a knowledge. Well, I didn't know. Like, no. <laughs> it's a stubborn problem. Like, you know, it's easy uh, for, for parents. Um, uh, sorry, Nathaniel, you learn this. <laughs> Um, but it's easier for parents, like, to, 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 to learn that it's, like, I mean, I, just me, like, I've <laughs> been thinking a lot about my mom, like, this week, because she loved Christmas, and so we've been, my siblings and I have been texting about different things about um, my mom, but, uh, you know, there were so many times I got punished for, for doing things I clearly knew <laughs> were wrong. Um, and, uh, and yeah, it wasn't a lack of knowledge. It was stubbornness. I, I wanted what I wanted, uh, regardless of the rules or laws or consequences, but I wanted what I wanted. <laughs> yeah? Yeah. Um, so, at, so as we look at this, that, you know, that is the warning to us, like, that we can fall into this arrogant complacency, we can fall into this, as we saw Israel, a stubborn refusal to obey God. Like the last picture we are given of, like think, the last picture we're given of Judah prior to the judgment on, on the nations is Judah down in Egypt. Jeremiah uh, sends a prophecy uh, saying this is what you need to do and their response is, no. Like, it's just like, it's outright, yes, we acknowledge that this is a word from God. We're not going to do it. Like, we, we don't want to do it, so, so no. Um, and the, the nations have to um, be driven out of their own stubborn refusal to acknowledge the one Lord, uh, the one God of the universe. Not Chemosh, not Milcom. Um, not whatever God they're parading before them. Um, there is only one Lord. Yeah, great.
I'll do it <laughs> directly. And notice, as you say, he doesn't tell us how he's going to do it. He doesn't say what instruments. Like sometimes, as you said, he, he shows us the instrument. Nebuchadnezzar uh, is, is doing what you're supposed to have been doing, uh, taking care of the poor in your midst. Uh, I'm going to take care of the widows. I'm going to take care of these children who are going to be orphaned by these horrible calamities upon them. I will, I will shepherd them um, uh, if they put their trust in me. Um, all right, well, let's talk about uh, the different ones. So um, what, what stood out to you about Ammon? So Ammon is verses 1 through 6. Um, so Ammon... Uh, Geography. So, so Ammon is uh, on the east side of the Jordan. Um, they are the descendants of the Amorites. So, um, Reuben and Gad um, took part of their land. And then, after the Assyrians um, uh, attacked Israel, the Ammonites um, went into and, and retook that territory. So this, this idea, why has Milcom dispossessed Gad and his people settled in its cities, um, that's what he's referring to, that they've kind of used the opportunity of, uh, you know, it, it'd be like, um, I, I'm trying to think. It, it would be like someone else invading Ukraine. So like, you know, Russia has been attacking the Ukrainians, leaving them weak, and then so Poland decides oh, we're going to come in from the backside. <laughs> um, it's that kind of idea that they've just kind of treacherously slid in. Um, but what, is, what, what strikes you about what God is saying um, it, it, about the Ammonites here? Yes, sir. Yeah, they're, they're close, but they're rejected. And they um, should have been friends, and they made themselves enemies. Um, that, uh, you know, and, and again, like proximity <laughs> to, to true faith is not a substitute for true faith. Um, proximity to the true God is not substitute to, for the true God. And here, like I think especially... Like, what's setting them apart? This emphasis, like, twice where we have Milcom named. Like, and so they're God, and, and the one, why is Milcom dispossessed Gad? Like, so their God is kind of standing in for them at that point. Like, so it's emphasizing they are, they are related to the people of God um, by physical descent, but spiritually they couldn't be farther off at this point with their trust in Milcom who is, just as they themselves are getting taken away, um, so is Milcom. For Milcom shall go into exile with his priests and his officials. Um, uh, why do you boast of your valleys, O faithless daughter who trusted in her treasures, saying, who will come against me? So again, it's like they're putting their trust and Milcom, this false god, they're also putting their trust in their wealth, their material possessions, and, um, and, and putting their hope in that. Um, I, I, reading these chapters makes me think I've been listening to this book um, called Collapse, um, which is about all these different civilizations that, like, and looking at what, what are the circumstances that, that made them uh, come, you know, be brought low so fast. And you have in like several of them, like the Anastasi and um, the American Southwest, who are basically kind of created, they're, they're both the political leaders and spiritual leaders. So they're at the top of this hierarchy uh, and the food chain is all going up to them. And in return, they're saying, oh, you know, you'll be, we'll, we'll make sure that through our religious rituals that the rains will continue to come, uh, you'll p continue to uh, you know, 
you'll continue to receive blessings. And, you know, you think of this, who thinks of New Mexico <laughs> as being a prosperous area for farming? Not so much. But in certain time periods, it, it does. Like, you know, like right now, people are pumping up water from the earth and making these big crop circles. Uh, and, you know, it's not a lack of fertility in the soil, but it's a lack of predictable rainfall. And, and that's what brings it down. Like, they've built themselves up there at the top, and it comes crashing down pretty quickly because they can't do what they've, they've promised. And, and similarly, you think these people are putting their trust in, in Milcom um, and putting their trust in prosperity, and, and it's all going to come crashing down uh, pretty quickly, um, when, and they are going to be destroyed and taken into captivity. And those two things, again, go hand in hand. I know I've mentioned this before, um, but um, one of my uh, seminary professors was an archaeologist, um, and he, he does work, uh, has done work on um, uh, particularly Phoenicians. Um, and at, at one dig, they found all these pots with babies in them. You know, so these are, are babies that are being sacrificed. Um, and when they dated the, the, the cemetery, uh, it was when this city was at its most prosperous. That's the moment they're, like, they're sacrificing children more and more trying to, you know, appease their God to continue to bless them with this prosperity. And that's the idea um, that, oh, if we make this ultimate sacrifice and give our children, uh, then we will keep being prosperous. And um, Dr. Currid, uh, he used it to compare to us. Like, it's, it's prosperous societies that abort their children. We might not be doing it in the name of Molech, um, but we still sacrifice children to maintain our own uh, happiness, prosperity. Oh, it's going to interrupt my life. You know, it, we're doing it for the same kinds of reasons, um, for the same kind of selfishness um, that these people were sacrificing their children. How close are we to the collapse? Um, <laughs> I haven't finished the book yet, so I don't know. <laughs> um, but like, uh, you know, like an, another example, he doesn't, the, the author doesn't use this example, but I talk about it in, in one of my classes. Like, you know, you, uh, like if you look at old maps of what we call the Great Plains, they were labeled the Great American Desert. So like, you know, Indicating, like again, this, this, these are areas where they're they're maybe not arid, but they're semi-arid, and like we go in and we think, okay, we can farm it and <laughs> plow it up, uh, you know, uh, remove all this sod, and what happens? The Dust Bowl. <laughs> the sod was what was holding the dirt in place for when and moisture in the soil for those dry lean years, and when the dry lean years come and you've planted corn, uh, the corn blows away and then the soil blows away. There's a great story. Um, Congress was having um, a committee meeting um, about what to do, and just at that moment, like uh, a windstorm, like the, the U.S. Capitol was hit by dust coming from the Midwest. That's how far it traveled. And someone stood up in the committee and it's like, gentlemen, Oklahoma is on the window. <laughs> um, so anyway, that's a digression, but <laughs> maybe closer than we think. And it's our arrogance, again, that, that we can do things without consequences. Uh, and then like, when consequences happen, that we'll be able to fix them. Like, mm, probably not. <laughs> We're not as smart as we think we are. Uh, we need to, again, trust in God. Um, and, you know, and as we think, like, to, to your question, um, I, I think um, we're, we're probably closer to collapse than we think we are, but we tend to think that the kingdom we're in is the best one ever, and we, we're the ones who've gotten it right, and every other kingdom on earth 
has, has gotten it wrong throughout human history. We, we're the ones who finally figured it out. We will be disabused of that notion at some point in time. <laughs> um, hopefully not in my lifetime. Um, <laughs> hopefully not in my children's lifetime. But, you know, who knows? It, it could come, if the lessons here are, it could come quickly. Um, because again, as, as we see uh, in this, uh, over and over again, these people think they're safe. Um, they think, like Damascus is trusting in these strong limestone walls that they've put up. So that's the reference. And, and what does God say? I will kindle a fire in the wall of Damascus, and it shall devour the strongholds of Ben-Hadad. Uh, and Ben-Hadad is both um, the name of a, um, uh, an Aramite deity, and it was also frequently a name of various um, Syrian kings um, took that name. So Ben-Hadad could either be a reference to the kingly presence of Ben-Hadad, their trusting in their ruler, or it could be a reference to their trust in this god behind the king, Ben-Hadad. Um, and... But, but either way, um, the strongholds of this God will be destroyed. Going through them, I think, is, is not going to happen. So I'm going to jump ahead to my last question. <laughs> so what are these, um, what are these, so we see the, the arrogance in, in these peoples, um, their trust in their, their own selves, um, uh, that the, the, you know, they're being cut off um, in, in some uh, cases um, completely wiped out um, because of their, their self-deception, the pride of their hearts, um, their sin against the people of God. Um, what, do these, what does this chapter teach us about God? This is where I wanted to end. Um, yeah, so what do we, like, what, as, as we see God, and God is, is often the subject of a lot of the verbs in this chapter. Like, what do we learn about God? What? Sovereign, and you said faithful. Faithful and just. Yeah, and he, it can do it by, like, a specific means. Like, we're given Nebuchadnezzar's named uh, for, for one of the nations. Um, for, he's, he's named for these um, tribal peoples. Notice, like, when, when he talks about Hazor, he's not talking about any um, cities there. These are nomads. That's why, what are, what are they getting, what is being taken from them? They're losing their camels. <laughs> They're losing their tents. Like, but they think, like, okay, you know, we're a mobile people. Nobody's going to attack us. We figured it out. Like, you know, we, we trade with everybody. We get along. We don't make any demands. We're safe in our, uh, you know, our nomadicy. <laughs> That's not a word, but, um, uh, you know, but, like, they're, they're being destroyed by Nebuchadnezzar. You get... Um, you know, these Assyrian cities that are built up strong walls and they're like, you know, thinking like nobody will ever be able to conquer or breach these walls. And God is saying, I will do it. He doesn't tell us who, who does it against, um, uh, who does it against Damascus and these other Syrian cities. Um, but he says, I, I will burn their walls with fire. It's like, so sometimes he, he's pointing us to a specific human cause to bring down, but Behind it all is him. And as you say, we are foolish to think that somehow that we've created something outside the purview of God bringing his judgment and discipline upon people. Yeah, and again, like, even, and this goes back to the stubbornness we were talking about. I mean, that was 
part of, like, why give us these stories about this Judah, Judean remnant that goes down to Egypt? Because it shows us that here they've had 40 years of Jeremiah telling them what's going to happen. It happens. And then they still don't believe it. <laughs> like, <laughs> like, you know, it's the, the hardness. Their hearts are so hard. Their hearts are so stubborn. Their eyes are so blind that it's stare, like God has told them exactly what is going to come to pass. It comes to pass exactly like God has said, and yet they're attributing it to, to you know, they're blaming Jeremiah. Like, oh, we had things great when we were worshiping all these other gods, and you had to, like, uh, spoil the party um, by all your naysaying. Like, yeah, Dave. Yeah, and even in the last judgment, like we see the same th thing. Like, um, I love that that passage, and and you see the, a similar thing in in Isaiah, where uh, God is bringing His judgments. These descriptions of all these kings and rulers who think they can hide themselves. Like, you know, they're crawling under. Like, it's it's almost a comical description of like crawling under rocks, hiding in caves, and. And, and God is like, there's nowhere you can, like, it, he's almost laughing at them. Like, where do you think you can hide from me? Like, you think, where do you think you can go to escape my judgment? Um, so, so that principle we see um, about God's judgment, we see carried forward, um, you know, into his description of, of the final judgment in, in Revelation. Like, he's, he gives this description of, Everybody like trying to, to flee from him and trying to hide, and there is no hiding from God. There is no escape from God's judgment. Um, and that's what, like again, to kind of go back to, to Judah, that's what he had been telling them. Like, surrender <laughs> to the Babylonians. Like, they are my instrument of judgment. Surrender to them. Recognize I'm bringing my judgment upon you. Surrender to them. And, and they refused. And their judgment was so much worse because of their refusal to listen to what God uh, has instructed. So, yeah, so, you know, he, he, he's bringing down um, these people. And, uh, again, like, arrogance, pride, um, misplaced trust. Like, all these things are characteristics that God is exposing. Um, and, you know, he is the one responsible. Um, you know, we see it um, uh, in Ammon. Why do you boast of your valleys, O faithless daughter, who trusted in her treasure, saying, Who will come against me? Behold, I will bring terror upon you, declares the Lord God of hosts, from all who are around you, and you shall be driven out every man straight before him, with none to gather the future, fugitives. Uh, Edom, um, for behold, I will make you small among the nations, despised among mankind. The horror you inspire has deceived you, and the pride of your heart, you who live in the clefts of the rock, who hold to the height of the hills. Though you make your nest as high as the eagles, I will bring you down from there. Um, you know, uh, Damascus, I will kindle a fire in the wall of Damascus, and it shall devour the strongholds of Ben-Hadad. Um, you know, even when he says, you know, he's giving, for Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, has, has formed a purpose against you, uh, it's God who is doing it. Uh, their camels shall become plunder, their herds of livestock a spoil. I will scatter to every wind. Those who cut the corners of their hair, I will bring their calamity. I bring their calamity from every side. So again, like 
He's saying it's Nebuchadnezzar, but it's him. <laughs> um, I will bring uh, with Elam. I will bring disaster upon them. My fierce anger declares the Lord. I will send the sword after them until I have consumed them. So every single one, it's God declaring that he is bringing this judgment upon them. But also, with some of them, he's giving the promise, afterwards I will restore the fortunes of the Ammonites, declares the Lord. In the latter days, I will restore the fortunes of Elam, declares the Lord. So just as it's God who's bringing judgment, hope of restoration is only to be found in that God. Um, and I, I think, especially as we think how the, the New Testament picks up on this, that uh, God is the hope of all the nations. He's not just the God of Israel, but he's God of all the peoples. And that's what his kingdom is going to consist of all those peoples. Um, he's bringing into his eternal kingdom. Um, so as we uh, see in these chapters, he's establishing his kingship, uh, his authority, his rule, and he's calling people to be a part of his kingdom through his king. Yes, sir. <laughs> in some way, or we, how do we respond to this in our day in a culture that is less godly, let's say, than it once was? Yeah, I think. Yeah, I think. So, first of all, I think. I, I, we have to to do the first thing you said. Remember that he's watching closely. Um, that that he is, um, you know, that that he is, um, yeah, that he knows. Like there is no escaping. Uh, there's no escaping the watch from when bad things happens to his people. Like he knows that. Like he he's keeping a record of the wrongs, um, and that he will repay those wrongs. So I, I think. Um, for both, he's watching the evildoers, but he's also keeping watch over his people. And he's being, just as he's being faithful in his judgments, he's also being faithful in maintaining um, his people. The second thing I would say, and again, it's, it's easy for us to, uh, again, respond to difficulties by thinking, how can we fix them? And, like, Politics and war is just politics by another means. Um, uh, you know, is is it's useful, but it's not the ultimate answer. <laughs> like, so I, like, I know that's not answering your question, <laughs> but I think our our primary problem always is we want to trust in human mechanisms, and we don't go back to God's word and look what instruction He's He's given us on how we should live in our. Our, our moments. And first and foremost, like we have to be faithful, um, faithful students of his word and faithful spokespeople of his word. Um, like, and, and that, I think, is where we're, we're struggling. We're, we struggle to speak the truth in the way God commands us to speak the truth. Um, we, we just do. Um, yeah, Mike.
Comfort, ease, so, convenience. <laughs> Yeah, even when, like, like, like uh, I've, I think I used this statistic I came across earlier um, this semester, uh, but I'll mention it again. Like, even when we get a win, like, you know, Roe v. Wade gets overturned by the Supreme Court. How, how many abortions were stopped? The same number of abortions happened in the United States the year after Roe v. Wade was overturned as the year before Roe v. Wade was overturned. So, like... Like, we got a win and nothing really changed. But why? Because we have to change people's hearts. That's, that's what has to be changed. And, and politics can't change people's hearts. Only the gospel, only, only Jesus working through the Holy Spirit can change people's hearts. And that's why we have to be first and foremost in, in preaching that gospel. Yeah. Yeah, and you know, how did they live in Rome? Um, well, one of the things they did, they went out and picked the babies. Romans were leaving out on the stone walls. They were going out and adopting them. <laughs> you know, they were, they were living like, <laughs> faithful, faithful lives um, in the midst of uh, you know, a, a horrible pagan empire. Um, so yeah, I, again, I think we, it's how we as individuals live and respond to the situations we face armed with the, the weapons that God gives us in the, his gospel. And his weapons are not the weapons of this world. Um, and I think that's what we have to always remind ourselves. All right, now we re are over time. So let me, <laughs> but I started late, so okay. It's my fault. Uh, let's pray. Gracious God, we um, teach us to, to turn to you. Um, it's so easy for us to um, uh, be distracted um, by uh, thinking that we can solve things or to being complacent um, and thinking everything's well um, because we have material uh, prosperity and uh, comfort and ease. Um, Lord, uh, disillusion us um, and help us to, to turn to you as Jeremiah has, has used that word over and over again, calling his people to turn back to their God, to turn away from their sin and turn to God and help us to do that as we exercise faith and repentance. Uh, we repent and turn away from our sin and in faith we turn to you. Help us to do that uh, even in this coming hour as we come to worship you. Um, fill our hearts with the joy that comes um, from being part of the body of Christ and uh, give us your spirit that we uh, would have the, the strength and courage to say and do the things uh, that we should. Um, uh, teach us, we pray, um, but uh, help us in all things to, to give you all praise and honor and glory. For you alone 
um, our king, and you alone are the ruler, and in you alone should we put our trust. We ask this in Christ's name, by the power of your Holy Spirit. Amen.